back to another episode of the Super Nintendo Bros podcast, where we like to take deep dives into anything and everything Nintendo related, or in uh, the case of today's episode, um, Nintendo step related, because it's basically the right handed <laughs> stepchild of anything Nintendo uh, or everything Zelda that I never released. Joining me today for the first time, we have the man who narrates Morgan Freeman's life, Max. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for that introduction, Raj. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Listen, it's the, go- the golden voice of 13 Palm Trees right there. All right. <laughs> so how you doing? How you, how you been? Man, we have been eating good this January. There's been a lot of cool stuff that's come out. Um, I'm deep in the middle of the Dead Space remake, which has been awesome. Um, and, I, you know, a lot of conversations I had with Michael about that were, were I was really worried that that was going to go awry. Um, but no, it, it pays homage to the original and, and adds a lot of really cool content. So that's been super fun, you know, and on top of, you know, small bonuses, like, it, I don't know, the last of us TV show, which is oh man, absolutely phenomenal. So good. Yeah. It's, it's been a really good month. I totally agree. I've been uh, knee deep in fire and engage on the switch. So, oh yeah, My, it's Michael's favorite, uh, subgenre, those, uh, grid based tactical RPGs. Mm-hmm. He loves I heard they cut down a lot on like dialogue and conversations um, between uh, Four Houses and uh, Engage. How have you been? Have you been enjoying that? I do like Engage. The story's not as good as it was in Three Houses. Um, mm. I do feel like they've cut down in dialogue. Of course, they removed the whole um, school life simulator thing that they had going in, in Three Houses, which in yeah. a lot of ways is for the better. Uh, combat's more fun. It, I think this is more of a love letter to fans of the series than anything else. Yeah. With the yeah. way this game well, it's works. nice to see them sort of reacting to what pe- really resonated with people about Four Houses and, and cutting down on the stuff that people sort of trudge through. Right. So, uh, yeah, that and, hey, we finally got Persona games on the Switch. Mm-hmm. About that. If you're into RPGs, check them out. Uh, we're going to talk about today, usually we like to talk about games we love, you know, series we love. And today we are going to talk about a very, a very fantastic series that I know is near and dear to all of our listeners' hearts. And that's The Legend of Zelda. And we're going to tread into unknown territory for most Zelda fans. I would say a lot of Zelda fans don't even know these games exist. These are the... I think that's possible. Yeah, yeah. these are the forbidden Zelda games. As we have, uh, as I have christened them. So, diving in, there are five particular games we're going to talk about as far as the Forbidden Zelda games go in this episode. And then, of course, later we'll do our Seal of Quality uh, discussion like we always do. And it's going to be on a, uh, we're going to call it a semi-Forbidden Zelda game that's not great. But I guess that's spoilers for later. We'll get into it, though. (laughs) But uh, I think the main main reason that I brought you here, and I know I was giving you a list of episodes, and ask if there was anything you were interested in being on, you really jumped at the opportunity to be on on two episodes, this being one of them. Um, the main yeah, focus I of did. our conversation. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, um, the, the Zelda CDI games have always been sort of fascinating to me. Um, one, because they're not very well known outside of like, you know, YouTube poop compilations, and they've sort of stayed culturally relevant through that. Um, I think they kind of represent a sort of almost alternate development uh, path that Zelda could have gone down, um, which is really sort of interesting. 
Um, they do. So I didn't know much about them going in other than they were dog shit and uh, was was curious to learn more. And I got to tell you, I was not disappointed. This was a really fascinating one to look into. It is. So really, the kind of the way this, this whole game thing got started, uh, for those of you who are not familiar with CDI, the CDI was a uh, video game console released by Philips Media uh, that came out in 1993. And uh, one of the, the things that Philips was able to finagle for their new console, uh, which, mind you, Philips had never been in the console game before, and they still aren't to this day. Uh, this right. was their kind of one-off failure of a console. But they managed to somehow get the rights to make Zelda and Mario games on their CDI. Which, you know, for, for non-Nintendo gamers, that's super exciting. And the, the Mario game, Hotel Mario, that's a story for a whole other podcast. Um, <laughs> but the, the whole lead into this was originally when Sony was kind of starting development on the PlayStation, Nintendo and Sony were trying to strike up a relationship to do, you know, disk drive-based components for the Super Nintendo or for later the N64. Well... That fell through. Because of that, we got two things. We got the wonderful line of Sony PlayStation systems. Mm-hmm. And we got Link, the Faces of Evil, and Zelda, the Wand of Gamelon. Two so equally kind of important contributions to, to video game history. Exactly. So th- um, thank you, Sony, for, for all that falling through to give us this. Well, yeah. So just to add on to that, so... The reason why I think Nintendo was so... Basically, Sony and Philips were competing to uh, create a disc-based add-on for the Super Nintendo. Um, That's what the the PlayStation was originally going to be, was an accessory, effectively. Um, And the reason Nintendo was so eager to get into CD-based media was because Sega, their main competitor at the time, was about to release the Sega CD. Um... And Nintendo was worried that their, you know, dominant place in the market was about to be eaten up by that. Uh, well, the Sega CD came out, and spoiler alert, it fell on its face. It was a huge, like a huge failure, failure, which made uh, Nintendo really gun shy about the whole thing. And they ended up canceling this deal when they had made it, you know, pretty far into development with PlayStation, and obviously had already given the licenses to uh, Philips for Mario and Zelda. Hey, what, so, what a uh, what a mistake they made there. Yeah, right. I mean, I can't imagine where we'd be now if Sony and Nintendo had actually gotten together on that. And you no, know, yeah, it, it's maybe one made. of the most pivotal moments I think in in like recent video game history. It set the landmark, or you know, it set the scape for everything that's come uh, since then. You know, uh, it it really can't be overstated. Um, and apparently, there are still. Uh, Nintendo PlayStation um, prototypes out there. They're rare, but like they I've, still I've exist. I've heard of them surfacing over the last few years, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I think yeah. we sold at auction not that long ago for a ridiculous amount of money. Right. Uh, what you can play on it, who knows? But I guess, <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll exactly. never know what could have been. But I'm sure whatever Sony, you know, obviously I'm sure had this worked out, Nintendo would have been making the Zelda games on the Nintendo. PlayStation CD Cube. Yeah, however yeah. you want to refer to that, uh, what that monstrosity could have been. But, uh, you know, instead we got a couple some different takes on the series entirely. Um, 
So the first thing I want to point out is if I'm guessing you have seen the cover art for these games, correct? Oh, yeah. They use those, those uh, Link to the Past assets and mm-hmm. promotional art for that. And that's, um, I got to tell you, as a massive Link to the Past uh, aficionado, that's a slap in the face once you actually see these <laughs> games and see what they are. Or uh, in some of our instances, I know I, I did a playthrough of Link the Faces of Evil uh, back this past summer on uh, Coffee and Grind's Twitch channel. So check out Coffee and Grind. I'm not currently actively streaming there, but Justin actually is doing a uh, Twilight Princess stream right now. It's his first playthrough. So be sure to check that channel out and to check the stream out when he's up. But uh, so these games are 2D side-scrollers, which we haven't seen in a while. The only time we'd seen that was from Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link on the NES. Um, So these these two games, and there's a third game we'll also talk about for the CDI. Um, Mm -hmm. So Link to Faces of Evil... You're going to play as Link. This is not the Legend of Zelda. This is, this is Link's time. Um, and you go on a quest to defeat Ganon and rescue Princess Zelda. So standard Zelda game, right? That's all we've known. Standard affair. This point, aside from uh, Link's Awakening, this is what we've always done. So what could possibly go wrong? And, um, well, the answer to that question is pretty much everything. Uh, More or less, yeah. Yeah, so there's... Instead of going around and being able to just wander the whole world, you have a you have a world map. Um, I think you could probably best describe that world map to. Um, I don't want to say a Donkey Kong Country world map. No, it's not nearly as functional as that. Uh, um, no, 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 no. <laughs> it certainly is not. But uh, more like a point and click map, and you got to kind of sometimes click several times and hope you're getting in the right place. Yeah, exactly. And that actually speaks to um, something that I learned about the development of these games. Um, I mean, not surprisingly, <clears throat> Animation Magic, which was the uh, company that developed um, Wand of Gamelon and Faces of Evil, uh, didn't have a lot of experience creating video games. Um, they're primarily say. artists. So what they would do is... Um, for level design and things, they would literally draw everything out and then figure out where the platforms and stuff were after the fact, which is why, like, <clears throat> you've played through them. You know, it's nearly impossible to figure out where your character is supposed to step Ugh. to progress. Yeah. Um, but that's why, is is that it was originally just one piece of art and then trying to make a level out of it afterwards. Yeah, that doesn't uh, that doesn't work. You got, you have to really plot these things out before you just start going happy go lucky with that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's kind of like taking a picture and then you know trying to Photoshop things in afterward. It's just, of course, if you're good with Photoshop, you can do it. But let's just say, yeah, the the uh, comparison I'm making here is animation magic is not good with Photoshop, in in <laughs> the sense of what I'm trying to say. Um, so at the beginning of each game, you have access to three different areas. Um, which are accessed through that map. Um, oh, the other t- title, by the way, Zelda, the Wand of Gamelon, you play as Zelda, which we've never done before, so that's kind of cool, except... That was a landmark not. moment. Yeah, a l- landmark moment for the Zelda series had to be right here on the CDI, mm-hmm. of course. Um, they both have a sword and shield at the beginning of the game, and you can use the sword to uh, stab your enemies, if you want to put it that way, or you can... Uh, Shoot the power blasts, or you can use your shield. 
Dude, Again, like the tax. standard Zelda stuff. Yeah, so standard Zelda stuff, except instead of working like it would in any other Zelda game, it um, trips over nothing, falls flat on its face, and shits itself. More or less. Yeah. Yeah. So I was kind of uh, so when I played this, I played an actual PC port of Link's to Faces Evil. I did not get around to the Wand of Gamelon, but it's essentially it's the same game. Um, with different locations and it's Zelda instead of Link. Um, you know, like you mentioned, first of all, you don't know where you step and where you can't. So mm-hmm. when you're taking a jump, and yes, you can jump in this game, uh, you don't know if you're going to land on a platform or just fall through what looks like a platform. Um, more often than not... Or if enemies are going to spawn in in places where you can't hit them. Yeah, that does happen. Or, you know, you stay in there and continue to swing at enemies and they don't take damage because the hitboxes are fucked. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, non-existent is not the best word for it, but kind of for the most part, sometimes it feels that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the worst part is trying to pick up items. And mind you, I played the remaster PC version where this was improved, so to speak. Um, right. Improved is a very uh, objective term. In that particular case, uh, picking up items is a nightmare. Like, I, it, it never should be that difficult to pick up an item in a game. Yeah. Uh, look, I mean, the tricky thing about these is that there are, there's an attempt to make it feel like a Zelda game. Right. You know what I mean? And given the fact that they had very little, like, creative input from nintendo other like as far as i know nintendo the only thing they wanted to do was sign off on the character designs of zelda and link to make sure that they were you know resembled the characters that nintendo would put forward which you know Um, for the most part they didn't do terrible with that no Um, i don't think so in now in in the animated sequences that's a little questionable but that's well and we'll get into (laughs) that that for sure right we have to oh yeah um um what was I going to say? Oh, just that um, another thing to keep in mind is during development of these games, you know, the deal started being struck in 1989. So um, really, there were two Zelda games that were out at the time. You know, you had the original Zelda and Zelda 2. Both play very differently yeah. from one another. So it's at the that NES time, sequel, I think... It, uh, syndrome right there. What is that? The NES sequel syndrome. That's what that is. Yeah. Sure. You saw the yeah, absolutely. Is trying to figure out like what the hell even a Zelda game is, and that's a difficult question when these games start to be. You can feel me, by the way. I'm going to be a little bit defensive about these games because I think it's kind of a miracle that they exist. It really is, though. You're not wrong. Like, as we know, there's no game that's produced in a vacuum, right? There are a million different factors that have to be considered. And these guys had the shit end of every deal possible. They had a limited budget. They had $600,000 to produce two games, a year to do it, a team that didn't really have, like, a ton of experience with video game design, and a publisher in Philips that was demonstrating a massive amount of creative control over the project. Uh, Philips really wanted these games to show off the you know, quote-unquote, incredible capabilities of their new console. That meant that they had to use full-motion video. It had to be a 2D side-scroller because they thought that a top-down view looked antiquated. Um, It had to use, like, 
full voice acting because that's something we can do. You know, it, it was just the odds were so stacked against these projects and like the fact that they weren't canceled and actually managed to deliver two games on time in under a year is insane. And they're functional, kind of. Kind of is definitely the word I'd, I'd use for the functionality <laughs> of the games. Well, yeah, definitely. But you can you can beat them, you right. know? <laughs> you, you can, you can. And it's impressive that a lot of people have actually beat the original versions because, you know, like I said, the, the remaster on PC um, definitely has a lot of uh, quality of life improvements with the controls, mm-hmm. but that's about as far as it goes. You know, it's still sure. difficult to pick up items. It's still difficult to know where you can go and where you can't. Um, but, yeah, just you know. oh, just for research for this, I um, I I emulated the Faces of Evil on my Steam Deck, um, which was a huge pain in the ass to set up. Can't imagine. <laughs> and basically, at the end of it, I played like maybe ten minutes of it and was like, "Oh, yep, this feels like shit." Yep. Not surprised. So you, yeah, you were playing the original CDI version then. Correct. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't bless myself with that opportunity for sure. I do not recommend it. <laughs> if you ask Russ in the uh, Super Nintendo Bros. Discord, I, I know he can give you a link to where to get the PC ports. Which... There were so many times I wanted to reach out to Russ, and I was like, "No, nah, Max, you can figure this out." <laughs> for all your emulation emulation needs, that's where you got to go. Yeah, he's a one stop like. shop. So, the story of these games. We'll go into some story here. Um, link the faces of evil. You know, it starts out, Link is bored. Well, that's a, I feel like that's a great setup for any hero to have a great quest, being bored. So, you know, he's talking to the king, you know, and he wants to go on a new adventure, and he's wanting, gee, it sure is boring around here, you know, in, in literally that bad of a voice, pretty much. Here's um, the thing that we learn about Link in this first, like, cutscene. Link is a sociopathic asshole. Yeah. Like he's not fighting to like preserve any sort of peace in Hyrule. He's he for fun. fights because this is how he lives. Yeah, effectively, this, this is shits and giggles entirely. Like screw Zelda, I just want to bomb some Dodongas, mm-hmm. and he can't wait to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so immediately his hopes are, fu- are fulfilled, fulfilled, fulfilled as a wizard appears on a magic carpet and says that Ganon and his minions have taken over the island of Korodai. So Ganon's back, great. So we have another hallmark in the series. We got Link, we got Zelda, we got Ganon, we got Hyrule. Nope, not now. We're going to go someplace else for an adventure. So at the time, other than Link's Awakening, where we went to Colon Island, we're going to a new setting for Zelda, which doesn't happen a whole lot in the series. Um, especially not yet. But I yeah, guess that's at this true. point, you know, at, at this point in the series, though, with only four games we've been released at this point, it, you know, I guess it wasn't, Extremely out of the ordinary. It's only three of the four had taken place in Hyrule, but take that yeah. for one of those. We were still figuring out what the staples of the series are. Uh, the wizard did explain that according to a prophecy, only Link can defeat Ganon. And then he asked Zelda for a kiss for good luck, and she said, Nope. You are not getting That's a the kiss. other thing we learned about this cutscene is that Link is an incel. He, he is. He's uh, very much so. Quite a simp for Zelda there. <laughs> yeah. So, in response to that, he laughs. So she said no, and he laughs in her face because he's a sexist, as you said before, sociopathic asshole. He's such a dick. <laughs> and um, 
So the wizard then transports him to the world of Kordai and explains that many of Ganon's minions have established giant stone statues known as the Faces of Evil, and those are their bases of operation. So he has to go and conquer each one of those uh, statues. So he goes throughout the island and all the faces and, you know, defeats their leaders. There's necromancers. There's, uh, ironically, an anthropomorphic pig that is not Ganon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, There's a harlequin, a knight, uh, you know, things, not your typical Zelda enemies, which is funny because he specifically mentioned Ganon's minions. Um, Now, in the gameplay itself, you know, you do have your, your moblins and things like that roaming around. Um, but the bosses definitely aren't anything like we've seen in Zelda. Uh, and uh, while he's having at his quest and going around conquering these faces of evil, uh, the wizard comes back and says, hey, Ganon has kidnapped Zelda, and he's imprisoned in her in uh, his lair. So there's another Zelda trope for us there. Yeah, hard not to see that coming. Look, at a certain point, this is kind of on link. This happens a lot. It does, um, for sure. And then uh, he discovers the Book of Kordai, and he brings it to a translator who reveals to him that the book is the only way to defeat Ganon. So he gets to Ganon, you confront him. Um, Ganon attempts to recruit you, you know, with promise of power and death, because, you know, when has Ganon ever wanted to ally himself with Link? Mm-hmm. Um, and that chews up a boss fight with Ganon where he dies in one hit. Which, you know, I was, um, when I was doing my playthrough, I uh, was laughing through a good bit of it. That moment absolutely broke me. <laughs> yeah, I, and it would. Yeah, I, I lost it because I was like, did he really? That, that didn't just end like that, but Blech. sure did. So, you know, he defeats Zelda in his one hit and, uh, He's officially declared the hero of the Island of Kordai. And Link says, hey, Zelda, give me a kiss. And she says, nope. Poor Link. After which he attempts to high-five the player. Like, he turns directly to the screen and goes, I won! And that's, like, the last thing, is Link getting curved by a girl and then being like, guys, I did it! It's so awesome. I like that that at least draws some continuity back to the uh, to the animated series, if nothing else. Because yeah, Zelda's true. All, and, and, and Link's always asking for a kiss there. He never gets it. I think all Zelda games should be forced to at least acknowledge the original TV show. I, I agree. I totally agree. Either in like some or, capacity or another. Or asking for a kiss. I, I think the kiss thing, I think that sticks. Mm. I think they should really go with that. I think that should be the the entire goal of Tears of the Kingdom is to get a kiss from Zelda. That's like the end we game. don't know that it's not yet, to be this clear. This is true. This is true. We don't have this game. And as of recording, uh, we have 100 days to go officially. Uh, assuming oh, it's yeah. delayed. Yeah, 100 days to go. Um, so that's uh, that's Link the Faces of Evil. Uh, so Zelda the Wand of Gamelon, like I said, I didn't take the opportunity to play this. Uh, so the King of Heart of Hyrule, he announces that he wants to help um, the Duke of Gamelon because the world of Gamelon is under attack by Ganon. Apparently he decided, you know what? I can't conquer Hyrule. I'm going over here now. There's no Triforce here. There's no Link. There's no Zelda. Everything's going to be fine. Zelda's not here. 
So uh, the king orders Zelda to uh, send Link for backup if she doesn't hear from within a month. And uh, he reassures her that taking the Triforce of Courage is what she should do. Um, and then Impa promises the Triforce of Wisdom will ensure the king's return. Uh, a month passes without word from the king, so Zelda sends Link to find him, and then Link goes missing. So now Naturally. the king is missing, Link is missing, Ganon's out there somewhere, so now it's time for Zelda and Impa to go find Link and the king in this world of Gamelon. So they obviously discover, Impa finds out once they get there, oh, well, the king's been captured by Ganon, and... Um, they don't know what happened to Link. He was in a battle, and uh, who knows? For all we know, he's dead, and he never got a kiss. So, sucks for him. Um, so, you know, she adventures around the island. She takes out some actual Zelda enemies this time. You know, the, the mummy, Gibdo, uh, an Iron Knuckle, Wizrobe. So, at least we have, like, some more consistent bosses with the rest of the Zelda series here, which I was definitely happy to see that. And then uh, eventually Zelda rescues a lady. Her name is Lady Ama. She gives Zelda a canteen that she claims that Link gave her in exchange for, get this, a kiss. So now Link's prostituting himself. I think it sounds less like he's prostituting himself and more like he's just like, you know, forcing himself on random women. I think shit's going to come out about Link at a certain point. Like, a lot of people are going to have to he's distance themselves from this guy. Yeah, he's, he's going to get canceled, I think. But by the end of the yeah, I think years, there's a Weinstein story in the in the making here. I think there's a reason they were trying to hide this game, and it's because Link was being a little... Uh, yeah, the minute you gave him a voice, all of a sudden, he's really into getting kissed. <laughs> so, once she reaches the palace on the island, it comes out that uh, the Duke, he betrayed the king. And was working with Ganon the whole time so that he could take over Gamelon and capture the king. So Zelda goes in the palace, defeats Ganon's henchman, um, saves a prisoner, and uh, yeah, they, they find the Duke's chamber and they go in and that's where they find Ganon. Or at least that's where find, they found Ganon lived. Uh, so she goes to sh the shrine of Gamelon so she can get the wand of Gamelon, which that's what they needed to defeat Ganon in this game. Hey. Hey, no silver arrows here. No uh, no mystical book of the other island. And after she uh, in incapacitates Ganon with that wand, which I assume is also done in one hit, um, if I had to guess, based on Link's adventure. Sure. Uh, she rescues her father. And they turn the duke over to the king. And uh, I have a, a loud cat currently uh, sitting in front of me now and they still don't know where Link is but um, a comment by Lady Alma who, which by the way, she traded that kiss for, for the canteen tells Zelda to, hey, throw your mirror against the wall and as it shatters, Link magically appears. He just materializes out of thin air. He was, I guess trapped in the mirror um, which we don't really know anything about this mirror other than apparently Link was in it and they celebrate uh, the return to peace with a feast, and they just laugh because all is well. And Link still doesn't get a kiss. Except from, you know, Lady Ama, I, I suppose. Allegedly. We don't know for sure. She could have stolen that canteen and kicked him out. We don't know that she That's true. She may have possible. The so, We're missing one key plot point here, which is that uh, the Duke who betrayed the king, his punishment 
is to scrub all the floors in Hyrule, which is insane. It is. That is I mean, such I a ridiculously low-stakes punishment. I wonder if you also had to sweep up all the broken uh, pots and jars that Link breaks. That would actually be a good one, because I think that would take years, maybe right. decades. It's, I mean, his, his secondary job is to follow Link around when he, ra- when he raids random houses to clean up after him. Yeah, exactly. He's the one who, like, when you walk out of a house and walk back in and the pots have been replaced, that's the Duke. That's the Duke looking out for you. Exactly. All right, so um, let's talk about those animated cutscenes because we've kind of, we've referenced them. And these were... So imagine the cringe that is the uh, Legend of Zelda animated series from the late 80s. And uh, if that... We're going to call that a cringe level. Like, If we're comparing them on a scale of 1 to 10, the animated series is a 1, and these are like a 15,000. For me personally, they fall into that category of being like the so bad, they come back around to being good. Do right. you know what I mean? Like, I mean, They're so absurd, and their movement is so unnatural, because I don't know if they've been rotoscoped or what, but they like they move just a little bit too smoothly. It's weird. It's a very weird experience watching these. Right. And apparently for the voice acting, I guess they only rehearsed these for about 15 minutes. And then they had yeah. uh, some, a few, like three or four two hour recording sessions to record all this stuff. Yep. Yeah. So they had to do, um, only like union voice actors. They had a super small budget and basically had to go with like who was around the development studio um uh magic animations is or animation magic is based out of boston so that's who they got um also none of the animations were done around the time that they were recording these voice lines which adds another layer of weirdness because like these character designs don't really match their voices at all because the people yeah. who were recording it had no idea what their character was supposed to look like i think we can just be thankful like at this point that they don't have boston accents because that, you know, that's a possibility. I fucking disagree. <laughs> I think this game would be so much better if we found out that, like, Korodai was actually just, you know, somewhere in Medford. It was actually Salem, Massachusetts. That's where Korodai was. I would love that. I would love that to death. Gamelon you know what? Punk rock. Yeah, Hyrule is in Massachusetts now. I've decided that's headcanon. <laughs> Tom Brady's Ganondorf confirmed. Was Ganondorf we don't talk confirmed. about him anymore. <laughs> So, yeah, we got in. I think the, the coolest thing about those animated scenes, though, is they totally came around and were just absolute memes in the early internet, early days of YouTube, mm-hmm. um, you know, video clips that got shared around YouTube poops, as they're likely, as they're often referred to as in the early days of YouTube. Um, of course, the uh, most famous being, I can't wait to bounce in the dongos. Oh, uh, yeah. That's, that's always been the, uh, the, the big one. That's um, a big one. Scrub all the floors in Hyrule was also one that I remember because somebody turned that into like a sea shanty. I'll see if I can pull it up. I'm sure it exists somewhere. That's the thing about these is that they'll never really truly die. Oh, it's and you got you got to think is that really a bad thing though? Because we we get to laugh at these. We get to have they, oh, these absolutely. Nonsense. Yeah, they're they're here forever. Um, yeah. Yeah. So those two and games. Like, go ahead. Just. My conclusion for these two games and something that I came away with is I think personally that they're better existing than not, you know, like enjoy them ironically if you want to. And most of us do. 
but it's better to make shitty art than no art at all, you know? Like, I'm I'm happy that these games exist. So I want to point out, too, uh, just in some reviewers' wheelhouses as far as um, different gaming magazines and gaming media outlets are concerned, uh, Electronic Gaming Monthly ranked Zelda Wand of Gamelon as the sixth worst game of all time. <laughs> And Game Trailers, which is now Easy Allies, rated it the fifth worst game of all time. Yeah. Yeah, that seems about right. Yeah, it's... They're not good. They're they're really... They're not good. But I, I'm with you. I'm glad they exist. If for nothing else than the... A, entertainment factor, but like B, like the conversation factor about these games you could have with fans of the series. You know, it, it's, it's, it's like The Legend of Zelda has its own... Uh, Star Wars Christmas special in these games. Yeah, I think that's actually, that's a pretty good point of comparison, you know, where it's it's something sort of insular to, like, Zelda fans that, you know, it's something to laugh at and, and enjoy. The thing is, like, even if you're enjoying something ironically, you're still enjoying it, you know? Exactly. So then we got a third uh, Zelda game on CDI, which... Uh, that came out about eight months after the first two, I believe. This was Correct. Zelda. Yeah, this was made with a completely different engine, completely different developer. Uh, this was Zelda's Adventure. And mm-hmm. this game had a lot of different things going for it that we had not seen in not only any other Zelda game, but in the other CDI games. So this went back to your top down Zelda. Phillips was like, okay, let's get a more traditional Zelda now. And uh, as the title would allude to, you do not play as Link, you play as Zelda. You play, in quotations, as Zelda. That's a very uh, loose way of putting it. You know what? Say what you will, but these guys at least understood the title of the franchise. Oh, it's The Legend of Zelda. Thus, Zelda should be the main character. That, to me, that just makes sense. That's a two plus two equals four kind of thing. You know what I mean? That's very true. So, (laughs) like I said, these go back to the top down. Playing as Zelda, you had to fight through the seven shrines of the underworld to collect the celestial signs. So, no pendants, no medallions, no Triforce pieces. This time we're after celestial signs. And uh, we have a different engine here. And I think one of the really cool things about this, which is also one of the most cringe things about this, is <laughs> that uh, the FMV sequences are live action. Right. Which never thought I'd see live action you know, FMV in a Zelda game. But that was, again, that was Phillips' way of pushing that technology. Hey, look what we can do. Yeah, that was a choice. That was a choice. And you'll note that, like, almost nothing from Zelda's adventure has really, like, stood the test of time, even in an ironic way. No, like, these like, aren't yeah. fun, bad It didn't get scenes. to me. This is bad, bad. Yeah, exactly. This isn't, like, enjoyable. It's it's ugly. It's a frustrating game. It doesn't play well. Um, and, like, it's pretty easy to soft lock. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, in this game, um, talk a little more about the development here. Um, this was the, they did a lot of contracting out to independent studios here. Um, 
for this game. The backgrounds of the videos were there are the backgrounds, sorry, of the game were created uh, from videos of scenery near uh, Santa Monica, California. And then there was also footage of Hawaii taken from a helicopter to get the background scenery. So, you know, we're, we're trying to make it look good, but the, the CDI itself, it wasn't, it was a lot more limited than Phillips would like to admit. Uh, especially since it really paled in comparison to even the second CD. Uh, photos of the characters were used, were shot with mirrors mounted on the ceiling. Uh, and the human characters were played by the office staff at the, the developer, which was uh, Veritas Corporation. They used their office staff for all the uh, character movement, which it's kind of cool in the fact that when you look at video games today, you know, all the capture, this is almost kind of an early, very, very primitive kind of use of that technology in a game. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. You know, I'm, I'm thinking of like other examples of early um, video games using like live action. Um, and the biggest one that comes to mind is is the first Resident Evil game. Yes. Which incredible acting, just right. just oh, yeah. phenomenal it's, stuff. Yeah, Academy Award worthy acting <laughs> in in uh, that Resident Evil uh, for the original one on the PlayStation. Right. Uh, so the they did have some Hollywood uh, help in making this game. Uh, I know the the artist that did all the models for the characters. Uh, he had worked on like uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street films. Uh, one of the Critters movies. Uh, they spent two years testing this game, which was longer than it took to develop it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is not a great sign. Yeah, definitely not. Um, and they had um, composed a lot more music for this than they had the other CDI games. Um, Coda, you need to be quiet. We're doing a podcast here, sir. Uh <laughs> And they were going to hire out somebody to make music, like, uh, you know, a rock group, but they didn't for whatever reason. Probably budget, if I had to guess. Yeah, I think that's a fair, fair assumption. Um, eventually, um, they progressed with a goal of 600 screens in the game and 160 NPCs. Uh, but they figured out that would take playthrough time, be up to 300 hours. Uh, or at least that's what they suggested. So they kind of scaled that back quite a bit. And uh, there was only a few NPCs in the final game. And the playthrough time, they were saying, is about 12 hours now. So, okay. 12 hours of a Zelda game? Yeah, that's great. We love Zelda games. 12 hours is fine. Uh, <laughs> except in this case, it's very much not. Uh, so like you said, the gameplay itself, very prone to soft locking. Um, it's definitely has a difficulty curve for this one. Well, when you say, yeah, a difficulty curve, yeah, I guess that's, that's fair. Um, I, I've, I have played this game, but it was, you know, years okay, so and years ago. I have not um, played this, so please take me down this, take me down this road. So, personally, I think that, like, that I thought the difficulty curve was unintentional. Like I just found the game to be buggier the more I got into it. Okay. Um, 
I, I'm realizing now that maybe like, you know, enemies that take 10,000 hits, maybe that was in fact like the intended gameplay. Yikes. <laughs> which is, which is a choice. I, I, I did not, not beat this game. I am comfortable with that. So the story of this game, uh, this time G uh, Ganon's kidnapped Link instead of Zelda. He stole the seven celestial signs. So now we're in an age of darkness in the kingdom of Tolomac. So Princess Zelda is recruited to collect the signs to defeat Ganon and save Link. Um, so she goes to all these shrines. There's really definitely not as much story involved here as in the uh, previous two CDI games. This definitely plays, it's very akin, even to the story progression, like to the original Legend of Zelda. Mm -hmm. And at the end, you know, Peace Returns, Link is safe. He's holding hands with Zelda, so he might not have gotten a kiss. But you know what? He's holding hands now, so he's making progress. I would call that still decidedly in the friend zone. True. This is true. Because I, I, I've, held a friend, I've held hands with just friends. I get that. Sure. So that's, yeah, that's Zelda Adventure. Um, was not received well. Wired Magazine said the graphics were some of the worst ever encountered. Blurry and digitized were... Uh, a lot of the words people would use to describe the graphics of this game. Um, and again, this was panned for, for being one of the worst games of all time. Uh, this came out as a CDI was being discontinued. So it's become extremely rare, even more so than the other two games. Um, regularly sold for well over $100. Uh, I don't know what the going price is on eBay at the moment, but I know last time I saw copies of these games, I, I've never seen a copy of Zelda's Adventure. I've seen copies of the other two at a gaming con. They were, they were pricey. I'm that was a curiosity. I'm going to research. Like, if you really want to play these games and you're one of the zero people in the world that has a Philips CDI laying around ready to fire up and play, which I understand even getting a working CDI can be quite the task. I would imagine. And there were a lot of different models of the CDI that were released through time. Uh, one of Gamelon on eBay, which is you know. Kind of the best I got. Uh, it's for a uh, complete in box copy. You're looking at three hundred fifty dollars, two hundred fifty dollars. Uh, and that's money well spent. I mean, that's going to appreciate oh, yeah. over time. Uh, this one's an actual auction. It starts at uh, one eighty nine ninety five uh, for Link Faces of Evil. Not gonna lie though, like as a collector, I would love to have these. It's an interesting bit of history. And like a bit of context that I think is missing here <laughs> is that even Phillips recognized that the CDI was not primarily a video game console. They right. didn't even market it as one. Yeah, it was, um, over, it was it, over an entertainment, um, I don't want to use the word device, but it was like an entertainment, yeah. entertainment system of some sort. It, it was like, you know, you could throw like encyclopedias on it. Or, like, yeah. it was meant for, like, edutainment kind of stuff, yeah, you know? Yeah, and like a PC kind of experience in a yeah. lot of those aspects. Yeah, it absolutely just could not handle anything resembling, like, a functional video game. So, like, yeah. you know, there's there's just layers of how futile it was to put these games together. Of, like, making a dog shit game really quickly for a system that can't handle it in order to seal a deal with Nintendo that has already fallen through. Like, oh, yeah, it's hard not to feel for the guys like, you know, that's 
you're you're kind of giving Sisyphus a run for his money in terms of pointless tasks. Um, Link's Link faces of evil is a it runs a little bit less than um, Ron of Gamelon. It, it tends to hover between 150 to 200. Uh, Zelda's Adventure, however, I can't find an eBay listing for less than fifteen hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. So worth every penny. Go out and buy that game. I would say so. Yeah. yeah you know what? Sell other collector's collection. editions if you have to. Oh yeah. I mean, I th- I think I'd totally trade my entire game collection for that. Sure. All right, let's move on to another Forbidden Zelda game. We got two more Forbidden Zelda games to tie uh to cover. Um the next two will probably be a little more controversial as far as whether or not they're forbidden, because I know both of them have their fans, and I guess CDI games might as well. But uh, the first one of those is Link's Crossbow Training on the Wii. So this was released in 2007. Um, it was actually developed by Nintendo, and this was a packing game that came with the Wii Zapper, which was just, you know, a piece of plastic and you put your Wii remote in it looks like a gun. Sure. Uh, I, I sorry, again, Roger. Did you say that you know people who are fans of this game? Um, I would imagine there are fans. I don't oh, okay. personally know any. Um, I mean, I'm just speculating that someone out there speedruns like crossbow training plays every day. I'm sure there is. Man, if there is, like more power to you. Please, please enter the Discord. I am desperate to hear yes. about your experience about getting good at Link's crossbow training. <laughs> so, um. The Wii Zapper, of course, you know, it's a plastic gun-like accessory you put your Wii remote into. Uh, so the game itself, though, this actually used assets from Twilight Princess for yeah. the game itself. It used environments, enemies, uh, and they use that to make saves with targets and uh, various other shootable things. You could totally play this game without the Zapper. All you got to do is point your Wii remote at the screen and... Uh, Pull your trigger and you fire off your. It says crossbow. I've never known Link to be a crossbow guy. Link, Link likes a traditional bow. Um, to perfect yeah. your marksmanship, you have to pass a series of tests. You've got stationary bullseyes, um, you have moving targets, and then eventually you have actual enemies. And at every level, you get a medal depending on your score. So they can range from bronze to platinum. So, kind of like a uh, Super Nintendo Bros. Seal of Quality, except not quite as meaningful. Yeah, I, I, you know what? Debatable. I'm gonna say that these these medals, because they're so rare, That's probably worth something. It could be. It could be. So um, yeah, there's non-playable levels in the game: target shooting levels, ranger levels, and defender levels. Um, believe it or not, the game was produced by Miyamoto and Eiji Anuma. So the big guys had their hands on this one, even though it was definitely more of a mini game than, you know, a Zelda game. And I think you kind of alluded to it best earlier. Like saying Link's Crossbow Training is your favorite Zelda game is kind of like saying Mario Party is your favorite Mario game. Yeah. And that's a real quick, just like, and this might be a philosophical question is like, I think we have to decide when we say Zelda game, what are we talking about? Because... Yes. Does this use, like, uh, assets from Twilight Princess? Sure. Does it resemble anything that you come to expect from a Zelda game? No. You know, 
Not really. What well, this is is a tech Breath demo. It's kind of the same boat, but we're not going to get on that topic. Justin <laughs> is fuming right now when I say that. <laughs> um, I can't believe I just compared Breath of the Wild to Link's Crossbow Training. I, you know what? I'm ashamed of myself on that one. <laughs> no, no. I, you know what? Commit to it. Okay. Okay. We'll, we'll commit to it. So, yeah, this, this is as much a Zelda game as Breath of the Wild is. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, originally, there was going to be a story to this. Um, it was supposed to be a side story to Twilight Princess to make use of, you know, that world. Um, and there was going to be a story involving a time warp and Link would eventually actually have a gun. And they threw that idea out real fast. Um, Jesus, I did not know that. Yes. <laughs> that was, And that was Miyamoto's vision of the game. Um which I, I just can't imagine Link with a Tommy gun just, you know, opening up fire on Moblins. I, I'm sure at some point that must have been incorporated as, like, a main item you'd get in Twilight Princess. It's something I never <laughs> knew I wanted until now. <laughs> You've unlocked a Magnum. <laughs> um, Miyamoto got some pushback from the staff because originally... You know, he, he kind of dropped that, and he kind of wanted it to be like a... The staff kind of wanted to do, like, anthology epic tales instead of, like, side mm -hmm. stories. But then Miyamoto said, no, you know, I don't want this to be this big adventure. You know, let's just... Let's kind of stick to side stuff. And they, they tried to can it at one point. People argued, you know, let's, let's just not make it. Um, as, you know, they're basically just reusing existing software and selling it as cash grab. But uh, then they made, it, made, made a prototype of it and uh, had players test it. And if they didn't like it, Miyamoto said he'd stop development. And uh, Nintendo of America got a lot of Zelda fans together to test out the game, try the game based on the prototype version, and they all reacted positively. They liked the game. So well, because of that, they uh, tweaked the game and it became what it ended up being. Which was a fun little uh, mini game distraction of your time, I guess is the best way to put it. Sure, I think there's something to be said for the fact that they gathered a whole bunch of already established Legend of Zelda fans to test this game. Right, that, that was the is, best way to do it. Yeah, you're you're kind of tipping the scales a little bit there. You know what I mean? Like, these are people that are gonna like whatever you put out. Yeah, it's like it's got Ling on it. We love it. We love we love faces of evil. Bring us uh, crossbow training. Absolutely, let's said. do this. So, um, Nintendo Power praised the game and the potential of Zapper. Of course, it's also Nintendo Power. As much mm -hmm. as I loved that magazine, that was a first-party magazine, so they could be a little biased. Um, but they said it was too short, which it's a minigame, essentially. Like, it's not supposed to be... <laughs> yeah, what did, how long should this game be? <laughs> I mean, like, this is like the, the Yoshi Safari or the Duck Hunt of the uh, Nintendo Wii, so... Exactly. Um, IGN said the game was fun but agreed that it was too short and IGN actually panned the zapper itself it says it makes the game more difficult to play and it was generally frustrating to use you really didn't see a lot of use from the zapper really in any game past uh, Link's Crossbow Training yeah did you have one? I did yeah because I got it when Crossbow Training came out uh, uh, I mean, honestly gotcha. though like I think the best use of the Wii Zapper wasn't from Link's Crossbow Training. It was from like the two Resident Evil games, the uh, the on the rail shooters. 
uh, sure. Dark yeah. Dark Side Chronicles. See, I think that makes total sense to me because the, yeah. the, when I saw the Zapper um, announced, I assumed that like you know games like Time Crisis and stuff that right. like and, you know they did a House of the Dead game, House of the Dead Two and Three was on there, House of the Dead Overkill. Yeah. Yeah, so they like that seems like what it's made for, right? Yeah, rail shooters, which uh, that's perfect for this. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily. I guess. Well, I guess Twilight Princess is a rail shooter, so or not Twilight Prince. Twilight Princess is a rail shooter. You heard it here first. Please cross. <laughs> it's a strand type game. <laughs> yeah, Link's crossbow training is a rail shooter. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, that's about it on crossbow training. Have any other thoughts on on that title? You know, I. Uh, this isn't something that like ever really spoke to me, um, but I sort of wish Nintendo would do these sort of weirder experiments with their with their franchises. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, this is obviously kind of gimmick based, but I think basically Mario is the only character where they really like show some sort of variety and have them do different stuff. Um, you know, outside of people being involved in Smash. And I think, you know, fuck it. Try it every once in a while. Yeah, like, I throw your characters into an unfamiliar setting and just see what works. You know, experiments like this lead to stuff like Metroid Pinball, which was weird as shit, but, like, objectively a pretty fun game. Right. You know, they seem to do this a lot with Kirby, too, where they kind of throw them into different elements and try yeah. seeing, you know, little smaller games, see what sticks, like that Kirby's Dream Buffet or the Kirby, the Kirby fighting games that have been released, you know? Yeah, um, I think that's a really good example of, like, you know, don't be afraid to put your character into unfamiliar circumstances or genres that you don't think necessarily fit. Just, you know, that's how you refine things. Exactly. Because so, we have, obviously, here we have a, a Zelda shooter that works as a minigame just fine. Mm-hmm. Like, it's uh, there's nothing inherently wrong with the game other than it's not typically what you would expect from Zelda. Right. So I guess the question here on this one then, is it forbidden or not forbidden? You know, if you're going to call it a Zelda game, then I would say it has to go on the forbidden list. Because, like, it's not really a Zelda game. Yeah. And if you picked it up expecting to play a Zelda game, you would be disappointed. Um, But does that make it a bad game necessarily? Like, no. I think it's pretty easy to pick up. From what I remember, it's easy to pick up crossbow training and have a little bit of fun with it. Yeah, I had fun with it for what it was. It was, like I said, it wasn't anything special, but it was a little bit of a good time. Yeah. So the final of the five Forbidden Zelda games that we're going to talk about, and I may get some pushback on this one, I I feel like, just from listeners, um, as far as it being forbidden, that is The Legend of Zelda Triforce Heroes for the Nintendo 3DS. Uh, A little bit of background on this as far as the game itself. It was the second uh, 3DS entry into the Legend of Zelda series. Uh, And it's the third installment in the franchise to have a multiplayer campaign. The first being Four Swords. And the second, which that was on uh, the Game Boy Advance cartridge of The Legend of Zelda Link to the Past. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, of course, Zelda Four Swords Adventures, which was a standalone release on the GameCube which utilized the Game Boy Advance Link cable to use your Game Boys as controllers, um, which, for what it was, it was fun. You know, it was all right. I guess Look, it can be considered forbidden in some ways, too. But the difference is, though, that actually feels like a real Zelda game. Yeah, I'd agree. Like, and it's got a having, very Link like, to the Past-inspired adventure. 
for uh, sure. That ability to like sit with friends and each use a Game Boy Advance as a controller. It was fun. You know, yeah. it was that game and um, Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. Yes. Yeah, that was and I've dumped hours yeah. into that game. It just, I don't know, it was such a different feeling. Um, you know, and and really smart on Nintendo's part to to utilize hardware that every kid had um, to make a sort of communal experience out of what was originally just like, you know, a very single player focused device. Agreed, agreed. So the story of this game, it follows the uh, the same link that was in Link Between Worlds. So we're in the Link Between Worlds universe with the same incarnation of Link. Um, so this time he's called forth uh, with two other links. We have three links, red link, blue link, and green link, which by the way, their hair color coordinates with their outfits. So green link has green hair. Blue Link has blue hair. Red Link has red hair. I don't know how I sure. feel about that. I <laughs> had he designed that. That's a know. sticking point for you? No, no. Um, so he goes to the kingdom of Hytopia, which is a fashion-obsessed kingdom, to uh, to basically lift a curse off of their uh, princess, who is named Styla, uh, that a witch had put on her. Uh, this game was released to mixed reviews. Uh, there were some positive reviews there. So um, she's cursed and the links come to Hytopia and they come in and basically they have to fulfill a prophecy that tells the three heroes coming together to form a totem pole. And one of the gimmicks of this game is like totem pole link. So you, you stack your three links on top of each other. You're picking each other up. You're doing all kinds of crazy shit. Um, sure. It's it's just a weird game. So you, you use it for, for puzzle solving primarily. Right. So I know very little about this game. Like I remember when it came out, and I knew that it had some kind of tie between this and Link Between Worlds. And I played Link Between Worlds way late. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to jump into like the sequel. Right. Um, but it seems like this one in particular, like you have a very sort of venomous hatred of this game. And I'm wondering why is it this one that really like seems to, to really like offend your sensibilities? So first of all, I, you know, I played some of the game, um, even though it is like it is kind of a traditional Zelda game, it just it never felt like Zelda because the whole the whole game was based around you know having the teamwork and it, you know the uh, I I really felt like the AI in the mm -hmm. game of the other two links was never fantastic. So if you didn't have buddies to play with, uh, you really weren't going to have a great experience. Uh, sure, all three links, even in multiplayer, shared one life meter. That's brutal. Uh, yeah, which it, it wasn't like it wasn't like overly difficult by any means, right? Um, but that's just that's a tool to start arguments. You know what I mean? Right. Like they do the same thing in a Super Mario 3D World, where there's just like yes. one life total that everybody shares. Yes, which I like 3D World. <laughs> the way I'm, no, I do I'm, too. But I'm, I'm a fan of that one. Um. I did now. I I, I know I, I kind of shat on the totem link thing. It was definitely a unique vehicle for puzzle solving mm. because that's how you would get around up to you know higher elevations, attack enemies that are higher up in the air, and things like that. 
Um, and, you know, you had to collect items and craft outfits to get, to get um, different abilities. So a lot of the game was based on, you know, getting outfits and costumes and, and this and that. So it... It's almost like Zelda meets Animal Crossing meets Metroid Prime Federation Force, but in but <laughs> that's not a in powerful the combination. Of, yeah, but not in the best ways of any of those three games. Not that there is a best way I that I can think of of Metroid Prime Federation Force. That was going to be my question. I feel like the honestly, like had they not attached the Metroid IP to that game and this released it as a new IP, it might have done okay. I think you know what this fans off with the Metroid moniker. Maybe it's been a million years since I played Federation Force, and it I I can't be unbiased about it at this point. So I'll reserve judgment on that, but I'm gonna think about that. Yeah, it's that's fair. I know you're a you're a big Metroid fan. I love Metroid, and yeah. I'll be the first to admit I I didn't enjoy Metroid Prime Federation Force, but you know again I I will look into that with my Metroid glasses on too. So that is what it is, I guess. Um. So this does take place in an alternate timeline. Um, in the Zelda timeline. Um, or I'm sorry, not that it takes place in an alternate timeline. It takes place in the Hero of Time's Failure timeline. So it's the uh, the Link is Dead timeline, which goes through uh, Link to the Past, uh, the Oracle's games, Link Between Worlds, etc. And eventually Zelda 1 and 2. Um, yeah, I just... No, I wasn't crazy about this game. I remember the first time I played it, actually. I, I had driven to Pittsburgh because they were doing a uh, a Super Mario Maker demo event right mm-hmm. after E3 of... Um, I want to say it was E3 of 2015 when they revealed this game. They released it the same year. Um, so I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to go try uh, the new Mario Maker out. <laughs> Looks like fun. It was, it was the first Mario Maker game, so we we'd never seen anything like that. And uh, while standing in line to play Mario Maker, they were carrying around DSs, and they had us demoing uh, Triforce Heroes. And that was the best experience I had with it, because I had, you know, people I was playing with. Right. Um, I I feel like if you're playing multiplayer, there's fun to be had. Yeah, I I think that's probably true. Like, I think that's that's sort of the intended play style. Um, Do you think you would have, like, if you had gone through this game not as a single player game um do you think you'd look back on it more favorably yes i do um i, I think that's the biggest issue the single player mode is it's just it's not good um mm-hmm. i mean other things of the game like it the game was beautiful it looked great uh had a great soundtrack from what i can vaguely remember of it but you know just if if you're not going to play a multiplayer it's just not that good and it's definitely like as a follow-up to you know, like between worlds was not good. I, it's, I would argue that, to me, it's probably one of the worst two D Zelda games. Yeah, that, well, I, it doesn't set itself up for success all that well. Yeah. I don't think, because you're right. It is following up on a link between worlds, and that is such a fan favorite, and did a lot of things right, um, to sort of refresh the series and right. give. A, a new sort of spin on what a two days two D Zelda game should be, um, and then you get this follow up that's weirdly multiplayer focused. It says that it's a continuation from Link Between Worlds, but it looks exactly like Wind Waker. So there is a lot of like confusing sort of disparate elements that are going into this, and you don't get a sense that there's like a cohesive whole, you know. 
Yeah, that's definitely a good way to put it. It, it really it didn't sell well either. The game only sold 1.36 million copies. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of copies of that game that went out there. Uh, I don't know if that attributes to its rarity or anything or not. I've not, uh, obviously, I've not looked into purchasing a, purchasing a copy of this game or anything, but. Right. Um, and again, you know, I, I don't dislike the art style, but I think when you're trying to market it as, you know, a follow up to Link Between Worlds, shouldn't have changed the art style that much. Yeah, I I would absolutely agree with that. Because um, I think, you know, personally, I don't love the follow-ups from Wind Waker. Um, you know, either Spirit Tracks or Phantom Hourglass. Uh, I'm not like, a fan. I was never a fan of those stylus controls in those games. Yeah, yeah. And I get it that, like, you know, there's some limitations with the, the 2DS that made that sort of thing necessary. I get that. Um but I appreciated the fact that there was a consistent art style that showed, like, this is supposed to be related to the game that came previously, you yes. know? And yes. here that is mismatched and very confusing. That is an odd choice. This is one that I think is very subjectively forbidden. Um, if you have two friends who have 3DSs and all three of you have uh, copies of this game, there's, there's fun there to be at. Uh, Maybe I should sometime try to get with some friends who have 3DSs and try Force Heroes, if that's even a thing. And give it another try. Yeah. I will argue that at least with Four Swords Adventures, like, I did a single-player playthrough of that. I think it was either last year or the year before. Um, and I enjoyed myself. I I really did. Um, whereas this one just doesn't lend itself as well to the single-player experience. I think that's probably fair. And you know what, like, if we're trying to, like we said with crossbow training, right, is if you're going into this with the assumption that it's going to be a Zelda game, are you going to be disappointed? And probably true with this. Zelda games are are primarily single-player focused games. And right. if you go into it with those sort of expectations, you're not going to come out having a good experience. No, not at all. Not at all. All right, so let's, let's change face a little bit. It is time for our Super Nintendo Bros. Seal of Quality discussion. Um, so for those of you who are maybe first-time listeners and aren't familiar with our Seal of Quality system, here's how this works. On every episode of Super Nintendo Bros, I bring to the table a game that was released on a Nintendo console. It could be a third-party game, it could be a Nintendo exclusive, it doesn't matter as long as it was released on a Nintendo system. Or is it Nintendo, you know, I guess we could have, objectively after the discussions earlier in this episode, say a Nintendo product, but yeah, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have a, a brief kind of loose form review discussion, and we determine um, which level of Super Nintendo Bros. Seal of Quality this receives. So there are five levels of the Super Nintendo Bros. Seal of Quality. We have the Super Nintendo Bros. Gold Seal of Quality, which this is for the best games out there. These are the games that you have no excuse for having not played, and everybody should play them no matter what. The Silver Seal of Quality... These are for those really great games that, you know, aren't, you know, the best games in Nintendo's wheelhouse, but they still, they definitely are worthy of your time. And if, like, let's say if it's something in a series that you're not a fan of, you may find something to like in it. In our bronze level, this is for, these aren't for everybody. These are games that, you know, we may recommend checking out, but you might not necessarily like. But, you know, they're still, they're fun to be had. It's a good quality game. We have the Super Nintendo Bros. Golden Korok Pile of Poo. 
people of quality. So that's for the this is for shit garbage games. Uh, we have yet to rank a game in that category. Just absolutely worst games you can think of. And then finally, we have the Super Nintendo Bros. Uh, participation trophy for those games that aren't good, but don't necessarily land in any of those categories. So we give them the, uh, you tried. Right. Participation trophy. So we're going to talk about Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. And um, I've had many a fun conversation in Discord and on Gurus of Gaming about this game. Um, I infamously tend to when people go off on games they beat that are hard that I can't beat I'm like well I beat Zelda 2 <laughs> <laughs> and I've done it twice mind you will I ever do it again well let's find out so uh, Zelda 2 The Adventure of Link we, talk, we touched on this a little bit earlier has that NES sequel syndrome where we're still establishing exactly what this series is it's not even a series yet really it's, it's a duology yeah, and it's a complete um, different take on what the original Zelda was. This time, it's a uh, tough as nails, uh, 2D side-scrolling platformer that can certainly be unfair at times uh, in its difficulty. Um, can be very cryptic with some of its puzzles. It's like, okay, what the hell do I do? Where do I go? Um, and like I said, it is a very difficult game. Uh, I would definitely say it's the hardest Zelda game, without question. Intentionally hardest Zelda game. We'll, 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 yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Uh, what kind of experience do you have with this, with this one? Minimal. When it got put on the virtual console, I absolutely checked it out. Um, only because I, I wanted to see how much of a departure it really was from what Zelda was. And surprisingly, I found that the thing that it had the most in common with for me playing it was um, a sequel to a different series, and that was uh, Castlevania II, Simon's yes. Quest. Um, yes. A lot of the same sort of things that you bring up, um, you know, being a Toughest Nails platformer, it's a 2D side-scroller now, infamously, insanely difficult puzzles that make no fucking sense. That's um, definitely where the, the carrier between those two really hits me as the puzzles. That's Simon's Quest, baby. Yeah. Um, you know, and I found I I personally found Simon's Quest charming in a lot of ways that I did not find Zelda 2. Um, you know, the environments are really lifeless. They're not fun to look at. Uh it's an ugly enemy, game. Was that? Definitely an ugly game. Yeah, it's an ugly game. Um Whereas you know, I like Castlevania 2. I'm a Simon's Quest fan. Yeah. I'm the first like, I I I would say I'm a Simon's Quest fan, and I absolutely acknowledge how many flaws it has. Oh, yeah, for um, sure. But, you know, a lot of the, like, sort of quirks about Simon's Quest are sort of absent from the adventure of Link, you know? Uh, like, flourishes, like, you know, at any point, it could turn to night. Um, and you don't get weirdness like that in Adventure of Link. You get no, kind no. of, like, a sort of... But it, it it lacks a little bit of character, is what I'll say. Um, and that's me recognizing that there's a ton of elements from Zelda 2 that now have cemented themselves as, like, you know, established Legend of Zelda, like, canon. Stuff like the Magic Meter, or, like, the names of sages that get yeah, they come passed from the over to of Ocarina. Too. Yep. Was that? Yeah, the names of the sages in Ocarina of Time came from the, uh, they are the same names as the towns in Zelda 2. Yeah. 
Yeah. So there's a ton of stuff here that like not everything sticks, but the stuff that does has made its way into other Zelda games. Yes. Um, so I would say that it's experimental in a way that I think was really, really good for the series. Um, does that make it fun to play? I don't think so. No. But at the same time, like it's it's not good. Like it's not a good game. Mm-hmm. But it's also not a horrible game. You know, fundamentally, it's it's not broken in any way. You know, it it has some redeeming qualities. Like it's it's got a great soundtrack. Um, it's got a great soundtrack. Uh, <laughs> I'm struggling. Just give here. me one more. One more. It's uh, it's got a great soundtrack. <laughs> That's about all I, all I got on that one. I like mm-hmm. the ideas of like going into actually going into different towns in that game. Which, granted, there's not a whole lot of stuff going in, going on in the towns. Like you'd find these uh, these beautiful young ladies who would uh, take you into the house and close the door, and all of a sudden your HP would be restored. Yeah. Again, things are going to come out about Link. Yeah. If there's one thing to take away from this episode, it's like watch this space. You heard it here first. Link is a predator. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, overall, I, th- I I think I actually, this is the first one of these we're going to give. Actually, I know it's the first one that I'm going to give. I personally would say this is the uh, Super Nintendo Bros. participation trophy. No seal of quality. You tried. Yeah, I think I that's, I think that's exactly right. You know, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that they're throwing against the wall here and seeing what sticks. Um, and... It's not a fully successful experimentation. No, it isn't. So, with all that being said, congratulations to uh, Zelda 2 on being the first ever participation trophy on the Super Nintendo Bros. Seal of Quality. Yeah. We have Look at that. Today. This many years later and still making history. Still making history. Uh, so, to wrap up the episode, check out our other 13 Palm Tree shows that we have uh, other great podcasts. I know uh, post-game content just came out with a new episode. It's a 2022 retrospective. Yeah. Yeah. And, it uh, was really fun to go back through everything we've covered up until this point. You know, yeah, and, I listened and to that at work see it today. with fresh eyes. It was, uh, it was a great listen. Listen to it at work. I love when games like Death's Door get praised because I love that <laughs> game. <laughs> um Check out, uh, I know it's been a while since we've had releases from the other podcasts, but still go back into the backlogs, listen to uh, the Final Girl podcast, Wasted Local Fantasy Football, D&D Kinda, Video Game Mythos. You can find all those under the 13 Palm Trees Network and then uh, under the shade as well, which I don't know that it's gotten an official release yet outside of uh, YouTube. I think right now it's in video format. I don't know that it's going to take a podcast form. I guess we'll see. Um, and if you want to, you know, if you really, if you love our shows, you know, we love that we're able to provide these to you for free. Uh, you know, one of the big things about 13 Palm Trees is we always want to go out and provide great free content. But if you so choose and would like to support our shows, we do have Patreon, patreon.com slash 13 Palm Trees. And uh, there are several different tiers with different award systems. I personally, I go for the $5 tier and I get um, outtakes from every episode that has outtakes. I don't know if we're going to have any today. Um, <laughs> I feel like several parts of the episode, I feel like, are outtakes. Right. Uh, early episode releases also, you get them early on Patreon. Um, in some instances, this likely won't get a, uh, 
I, I do not see this one getting an early release because typically we launch, we launch on Thursdays and today is Wednesday. So a little late for that. <laughs> but yeah, check us out there. And I, I do promise that the 13 Palm Trees Patreon, Daniel does not use that money to fund our Hall & Oates tribute, tribute duo. We get those funds elsewhere, I swear. We are, we are not following this. So yeah, be sure to uh, check out our Discord. You'll find the link to our Discord in the episode description. Leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you guys. We have a very active Discord server as well. So, you know, join in the conversation there. We've always got something going on, whether it be Russ, you know, talking about emulation and mods or uh, Nintendo news, Nintendo news, things like that. Uh, Max, where can we find you on the internet? Oh, you can see me around the uh, post-game content Discord and also at uh, the Super Nintendo Bros uh, Discord. I'm generally in there uh, responding to the absolute dog shit takes that you guys have. <laughs> they do be dog shit sometimes. So they really do. <laughs> All right. And uh, once again, I'd like to thank everybody for, for listening today. So until next time, happy gaming. Fuck you, Roger. Roger.